Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. All these girls gonna be in the league? Hello, gorgeous. Female fight club. All men must die, but we are not men. Damn it, Kristen! What do you think happened to Karen? Lauren. Girl, her name is Kimberly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 55 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where I'm about an inch away from just turning this into an all Chris Hemsworth show. Uh, stranger things have happened. Uh, <laughs> as always, I'm Kristen Lopez here with a ragtag bunch of ladies who have all been told that the movie they love online is actually terrible, and they should know that. Uh, I'm joined by Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. They're, they're just intimidated by Hemsworth abs. I know, I know. <laughs> don't don't you know, though, the movie really sucks. I mean, I know you said you liked it, but it's it's terrible. It's actually it's awful. Yeah, these white men are just intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> and Karen Peterson is not here this week. I still think she's in an El Royale coma from our bonus episode that we did. So I think she's sleeping in and having disturbing dreams that are not appropriate for this podcast. And I say that is something where everything is appropriate for this podcast. But we are joined by a guest, the amazing and talented Courtney Enlo. Courtney, how are you? I'm very well. And I haven't seen El Royale yet. So I just only know about abs. Yeah, yeah that's so a good start. I, I'm, I'm that's good all you really I need know to know. I need to, like once I started hearing people review it, it's like, you know, what? I'm good with just this one gif of Chris Hemsworth walking. Oh, no, you you really do need to see the movement, like the rest of him, how mm, his pants yeah. stay up by God's good grace. It's it's magic. The pie, the, the deep pie, yeah, all those he, pants. pie, it's fantastic. I love how like, we're pushing this. I love how we're pushing this, but he's in the movie for like 15 minutes. It's not 15 minutes. I actually timed it this this time. I saw it last night for the third time. And I think he's maybe in it for about 30. Okay. All right. Well, I'd that's say, a bit better. I'd say about 30. But it's, it's 30 good minutes. Yes. It's a really Very good, good sitcom yes. episode that's the Chris Hemsworth show. Yes. And and we're yes. not, this is not a spoiler. And it's also not something you get too excited about, but he does get nude. So, you know. Oh, okay. That's worth it. That's not okay. the trailer. That's not the, a gif anywhere yet. Yet. I'll make it yet. Drew Goddard really takes care of the ladies. <laughs> but Courtney he knows, what, he knows what we need and he gives it to us in abundance. For people who don't know who you are, and they should, uh, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself, where your writing is, uh, what you do, all that good stuff. So I'm the associate editor of Sci-Fi Fangirls. And I also write like other places just randomly and intermittently like Vanity Fair and Bustle and Glamour. Um, I'm also the co-host of the podcast Trends Like These, which I co-host with my friends Travis McElroy and Brent Black. And yeah, just do all kinds of shenanigans. Mostly I'm just on Twitter yelling about stuff. Yeah, Courtney is really one of us, so... I love it works to yell, out. and I love Hemsworth abs. I feel at home at this podcast. <laughs> yep, yep, that sounds that sounds like a see. So Courtney is already an honorary dame, uh, but we're going to transition from the golden sun that is Hemsworth, and we're going to talk about some people who really like making asinine statements. So where do we want to start on the wheel of men needs to shut their mouths? You know, I'm just going to start. I'm going to be autocratic this week and say Javier Bardem. That's what we're going to talk about today. Damn it, Javier. Javier. Penelope <laughs> Cruz needs to come get her guy. Yes. Keep your man under control. Exactly. Put him on the leash. He has come out in support of Woody Allen. Him and Penelope Cruz both made 
the movie Vicky Cristina Barcelona back in 2008, which if you don't remember, it is a delightful story about a man whose penis is so magical that women just like go crazy over him and want to sleep with him. I'm assuming that was the whole plot of the movie. It's been about 10 years since I've actually watched it. That's literally all I remember about yeah. it. So, yeah. so yeah. there you go. So, you know, depth compelling stuff but uh, I guess Bardem was at the Lumiere Festival in Lyon France and they had asked him or I don't even think they asked him according to this according to this article on the Guardian he just started talking apropos of nothing <laughs> <laughs> he said quote by the way at the time I did Vicky Cristina Barcelona the allegations were already well known for more than 10 years and two states in the U.S. deemed he was not guilty I don't know how many states there are in the U.S., but I'm pretty sure two doesn't make a majority, but whatever. And he said, quote, if the legal situation ever changes, then I change my mind. But for now, I don't agree with the public lynching that he's been receiving. And if Woody Allen called me to work with him again, I'd be there tomorrow morning. So, ladies, what is what is the, the phrase we use when somebody who is unbiddenly defending a guy who is a garbage person what what do we what do we say, Javier? Who did you hurt? That's I think where we're going with. <laughs> I, was, I was a little confused as to what you were as to where you were going with that one. I just like, there's many okay, so there's out. many phrases we say when this happens. There's so many phrases. Yes, yes. So you know. <laughs> I just don't know what to do with these these Woody Allen supporters. There's always, and there's like the element of like Woody Allen defense bad enough. Public lynching. It's like he it's like he took his bad take yeah. and was like, I'm just going to cover it with like the chocolate sauce of nonsense <laughs> and make it worse. Here, have this Sunday. Yeah, and, I, and the thing I don't, I never get with these guys is, is that they're not being asked do you support Woody Allen? They're offering this information up. And if the legal situation ever changes, as as we've detailed in this podcast numerous times, the legal situation here is not going to change unless men start believing rape victims. Well, this is, I was just, I drew this, this is semi-related to the first thing you were saying. I just drew this comparison in my head. These guys are the real life equivalent of those guys on Twitter who will come up when you say, I love a movie, who will say, well, no, it sucks. And here's why. You know, they, we don't care about what, we're just going to come up and volunteer our opinion, even though no one asked for it. Yeah, it's very, I mean, it's very entitled. And I think I, I said this the other day that it's mm -hmm. the, it's almost a form of gaslighting of just like, well, this isn't actually real. Just to let you know your experience, your understanding of any of this, this, this isn't real. Um, you know, you don't actually feel like that. And it's attempting to sort of impose their opinions on you. But yeah, Bur Burdem, I think Burdem has said this before. Um, he said something similar not that long ago and everyone was like, oh, fuck. And then we right. were kind, kind of tried to forget about it and now it's come back up again. I, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand, you know, all he has to do is just not say anything to start with. There's no reason for him to comment on this. And even if he's asked about it, he could just turn around and say like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't have enough information to have a comment about this. Like he can say no comment and he does not have to like publicly embarrass himself like this, but it's obvious that he thinks that this is okay, that there is no reason for him to be, to, to condemn this dude uh, that he that he liked working with. And I will say, I liked Vicky Cristina Barcelona. I think it's a very good film. I think it's one of uh, Alan's best films in like his 
sort of his most recent career resurgence, but it isn't worth it. Yeah, and the fact that Woody Allen's new movie still hasn't secured a release date, for all intents and purposes, it's Amazon, right? I think they're just going to dump it yeah. and try to recoup probably on a on a streaming platform. The tide is turned. So mm-hmm. Bardem and these people that do continue to support Allen just, just look like the people that are still in their bunkers from Y2K with their duct tape saying, no, no, it's really going to happen. You don't understand how close we came. Like, they just look crazy at this point. Because the consensus has shifted well, and so they're much. like down the rabbit hole of uh, like woman hatred, where they're like, well, it's yes. not that we don't believe this this woman. It's that we think her mother lied. And it's like, do you not understand that you're just layering misogyny <laughs> on top of misogyny? Like how how hard is this for you? to so just like stand with this man whose entire argument is bitches be lying. And we see that, we see that a lot. I love the defense. You know, I support women. I just don't believe this one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what this is. But then you throw in public lynching, which a lot of women of color, writers of color were just rolling their Mm -hmm. eyes at, because not only is he making an asinine statement, disbelieving a victim, but he's also co-opting rhetoric that does not apply to him. Bardem is, yes, a man of color, but he is not a black man living in America where that meant something. And that's just where you're just, you know, it's one thing. And I think a lot of those sentiments do tend to go hand in hand. We see that with, you know, white feminism and and co-opting women of colors and, and, racist rhetoric to promote their ideas so i mean it usually is one and the same so i think we gotta i think we gotta just officially label javier bardem a trash person i mean i already said that when he made the last pirates film he was in so beautiful trash is still trash (laughs) so let's move on to another well this isn't a trash person this is just a stupid person so if you went and saw halloween this weekend and you supported blumhouse the uh, film production studio run by jason blum who apparently says women just don't direct enough horror movies so there was a lot of talk uh, about why blumhouse has not directed uh, a film with a woman at the center of it and he talks about how he really wants to think outside the box and how, you know, working with Jordan Peele and David Gordon Green. But he doesn't seem to understand that there are more than one female director. He says, quote, there are not a lot of female directors, period, and even less who are inclined to do horror. I'm a massive admirer of Jennifer Kent, who directed The Duke. I've offered her every movie we've had available. She's turned me down every time. So is Jennifer Kent the only woman that he knows? I think so. <laughs> I think that that's, that's the conclusion that I came to. I was just like, you've only heard of one movie and one female director. Like, that's it. You saw The Babadook and you were like, oh, we totally want to get her. And she's probably like, dude, stop calling me. I'm not <laughs> interested in these dumb shit movies. She's going, I've, how many times do I have to turn your ass down? <laughs> Well, and, and it's led to a lot of a lot of articles came out. Um, this led a lot of directors to or to writers to start doing lists of female horror directors that they thought could conceivably do it. There were a lot of great ideas touted out, and uh, I think this made people remember. I think it was Catherine Hardwick who made comments saying that when male studio heads say they want women directors, they just stick with one 
and then they move on when that one says no and say they did their part. They did their due diligence. Um, and Jason Blum did come out later after those comments came out and said, quote, thank you everyone for calling me out on my dumb comments in that interview. I made a stupid mistake. I spoke too quickly about a serious issue, an issue I am passionate about. But a lot of men seem to say this. A lot of them do. Or they all have caveats. You know, there's not enough women. Colin Trevorrow. There's not enough women who want to direct franchise films. There's not enough female directors. There's all the movies directed by women have sucked. Uh, so even even if we had examples, men just seem to lump so many of these caveats on there when it comes to finding female directors. Well, I think they see like woman as a as a hive mind and kind of in the way that it's just like black directors, black women, like they're all like it is just like one lump so him saying like i reached out to two whole women women just aren't interested like he that the funniest part of that interview is when like he brings his assistant over and the assistant <laughs> just starts naming women like that cracked me up because he's just like yeah like the, all these women like ah uh, i asked two of them and they said no like it's just so that means like see women aren't interested because i talked to two well, and some of the excuses and that, that is my some, survey some sample people have size. been using have been like well they're only interested in working with bigger name directors and i'm not certain whether that's accurate about blumhouse in terms of the like the, if you actually look at their male roster of the director like they, they it's not like they're taking huge name directors. they're not taking people like martin scorsese or anything like that, and being like, oh, now he's going to make a movie for us. These are not, like, massively famous directors that they're using. Um, so there's also this sense of, like, they're not seeking out... I, I've uh, The past couple of years, I've, I've, uh, I've remotely covered the Final Girls Film Festival, which is primarily shorts, but it's all made by female directors, female writers, or non-binary writers. And... There are tons, like, and I've spoken with several female directors from there who are like, oh yeah, I would love to expand this short into a full-length film. I can't get funding for it. Like, that's the sort of thing that Blumhouse should be doing. They should be going to those festivals and looking at those directors and being like, okay, we really like this person. We want to try to develop this film for her, or we want to try to get her in on a project um, that we're developing right now. And there's no reason not to do this. There are plenty of female horror directors out there who are more than, who are excited to work. And and they're just not getting contacted. They're not getting their foot in the door. It's it's insane. And, and it's so incredibly stupid. I hated his response of, you know, oh, I said something dumb. It's like, no, you're doing something dumb. I don't care if you're sorry for what you said. I care if you're sorry for not doing more. And I want an explanation as to how you are going to do better. We hear this from dudes all the time. We've heard it. We heard it from uh, male editors. We've heard it from male producers and directors. Like, I'm going to do better. How? What steps are you going to take? to ensure that you have a diverse cast, that you have, a, you have a diverse roster of directors, that you've got women in positions of power. What are you going to do? Lay it out for me. Otherwise, I don't believe you. Well, we see this too with, with minority directors. You know, you always hear yeah. there's not enough Latino directors. There's not enough African-American directors that want these things. And they're out there. They just require money. And I love how Hollywood execs seem to forget what a crucial part money plays in this whole thing. It's only once once they are making these statements that they can't find somebody that you're like, it's not that you can't find somebody. You can't find somebody that you are willing to give a budget to. 
And and as we've seen with women especially, the rate of return is that if you make one movie and it's terrible, they're not going to invest in you. They'll invest in a, a white man thousands of times until they find their niche. But women don't get that shot. And that's the paradigm that needs to shift. It's not about you need to find women directors, yes, but not just cast them aside when they're not making you millions of dollars. Well, and they'll invest in a white man with oh, no yeah. exactly. experience, no no back catalog. But women, people of color, need to prove themselves constantly. And to a point where that is like unrealistic, like there is nothing enough. There is nothing that matches what they seem to think these these returns need to like be worth in order to like hand them a movie whereas just like white male directors just don't have that. Well this comes exactly because this comes up every time that like I think of the Star Wars universe every, that quote from what Kathleen Kennedy basically saying we have no women who can you know we who have handled a big franchise but yet, look at all the times they've been spurned, you know, you know, handing these franchises to untested male directors. It's women, yeah, women have to perform above and beyond, yet men just have to We're show sick up. of it. So who would you guys like to see? We'll, we'll throw out some ideas, because obviously Jason Blum doesn't know of any. You know, your, who are some of your favorite? We I know we just did a top five on the Citizen Dame website about this our favorite female directed uh, horror movies, but who are some of your favorite female horror directors? Uh, well, okay. I'll shout out a point. I'll shout out a few. Alice Lowe, um, who did, who directed Prevenge. And she actually said like when Blue made her, when Blue made his comments, she was like, um, I'm available. Hi. You know, and she's, she's really great. She did. So she did Prevenge. Um, I mean, some of the some of the other names have been thrown around. Mary Heron, um, uh, what's Mary Lambert? Uh, I I want to speak out to uh, the the woman who directed my personal favorite um, short in the Final Girls Film Festival last year, Laurel Vale, who did a really great kind of female revenge story. Uh, called What Metal Girls Are Into. She's really good. I would love to see her actually helming some feature films. Um, those are just the ones that I could think of off the top of my head. The, the other thing is that there are plenty of female directors that maybe not, not necessarily have done horror before, but could do horror. There's no reason why someone who has directed, you know, some even someone as big as Ava DuVernay, um, who's directed very large budget films can't turn around and do a smaller budgeted film. There's like, I, why not? Well, and, and I, you know, I was just talking to somebody and I love how this seems to be the test case when, when men respond to this question, but I, Karen Kusama, I, I've enjoyed, yeah. I think she's had more hits than misses for me. I, I love Jennifer's body. Oh, I was just, that's exactly yeah. who I was going to say, uh, Kusama. If you haven't seen Jennifer's body and the invitation, two very different horror films, but they are horror films and they're beautifully directed and they say a lot about women. And I still get people that will message me and be like, Jennifer's body is a horrible movie. You know, it failed so terribly. This is why women don't direct. And the fact that Jennifer's body has such a huge devout cult following from women who said it was, Totally relevant in 08 when it came out. It's relevant now. And Karen Kusama is still directing, but she doesn't have those big horror opportunities. Like, she's more than proven herself. So what's the problem? Kind of going into that thing where, like, the, you know, 
untested men get just handed things. Yeah. There are plenty of women, like just this year, who were on the festival circuit whose movies, you know, got a lot of buzz. And the fact that they haven't just been handed something like Jen Wexler, um, who did The Ranger this year. And like they're, mm. they're a, a man who had kind of made that movie, we'd be hearing all all the trades saying like, he's been handed this tent pole and things like that. And that just doesn't happen. Um, Emily Hagens is someone that I interviewed recently. She's been literally making her own movies, her own horror movies since she was 12 years old. And she is still in the game. She just made a, uh, a streaming anthology series. And like, how has, how has no one thought like, even just in terms of like the story in driving like promotion to their their movie or their uh, production company by just saying like here's this this woman who has literally been making her own movies in her yard since she was 12 years old but women don't get that story that's a story that men get it's it's all about yeah taking chances with with your money studios you know that's the thing is is yeah. make a movie with a woman and don't get ask her if it doesn't make a bajillion dollars you know or or doesn't lead to a franchise just start giving them opportunities with your money you know these studios can afford to fail you know i mean cleopatra is a prime example okay (laughs) just say you can afford to fail um uh one one more director that i well one more director that i wanted to shout out because i just thought of her um isa lopez who uh just recently directed a movie called tigers are not afraid and this this is a like this movie is so good that guillermo del toro wants to work with her uh she's a mexican director and she's just like if you watch tigers are not afraid it is it's very del toro-esque it's but it's very much also its own thing and she is so good and again no reason why she can't make that transition it's she she's a good director like why can't we get these women in there exactly just do better blumhouse it's not hard i I don't know why we have to tell you this so moving on to it's a bit of a question it's a bit of a comment from somebody that wanted us to talk about it from at nanina gilder they write hey i'm assuming it's a she but i'm gonna go there because i'm not 100 percent sure it's a she. So she says... Yes, this is this is actually a friend of mine from college. Oh, okay. Hi, Lauren's friend. She says, Hey, Citizen Dame Pod, you guys should talk about how Filmstruck has added a bunch of films by female directors to their roster. There's still a pretty serious imbalance, but it's a baby step in the right direction, and there's some pretty awesome films on the list. I'm all for talking about Filmstruck, because I love it. Um, I should watch it more than I do. And it's great. You should all get it. Um, and it's also Oscar Isaac approved because when I met him, he said that he liked it. And I was like, I love you. That was, that was in August <laughs> and a lot's changed since then. So, you know, we'd have to talk about that again. But regardless, <laughs> Filmstruck has a lot of great stuff. They did add a female filmmakers section. It's got stuff from Elaine May and Susan Seidelman, and a bunch of other places, and Gillian Armstrong, they actually have a whole section of directed by Gillian Armstrong films that includes My Brilliant Career, which they showed at the TCM Film Festival this year, and I have it on my watch list because I missed it at TCM, and I want to see it. So yeah, I, I'm so happy that they're they're trying their utmost to get female directors on people's radars so that you can't say... I don't know who they are. 
Yeah, it's it's really nice to see something this big, you know, because people complain about, oh, can you really name a female director, you know, prior to 1980 and things like that. It's just like, well, yeah, actually, I can and you can give a list. And it's it's nice to actually get those films featured and and also just offer up films that, that people haven't seen and or that people have heard of and haven't had an opportunity to watch. And it's it's good that Filmstruck is actually pushing that. I'll, I'll I'll be the pessimist. I just wanted to jump out and say the lack of Ida on that list. Well, me yeah, and I I wonder too. They did have a bunch of Ida movies up there. I think like a month ago. I mean, the sucky thing is, is that they are beholden to you know what they can can rent. I guess is the term. Oh yeah. And I wish they my my only complaint with Filmstruck is that I wish they had stuff combined with their Watch TCM app because. TCM gets so many different movies than that, this, yes. and I don't know why they don't integrate it. It's probably a rights issue or something. But yeah, I I would love some more Ida on there. But then I'm also saying that I usually am the one that says there's just not enough John Garfield on on Filmstruck for me. Um, so I'm biased. But yeah, Ida is great. Uh, I don't know. Is I think Dorothy Arzner's on the Filmstruck list right now. Dance Girl Dance is on there. Uh, so so that's that's. An, so many options there are so many options i if i could just become a professional critic who just sits and watches filmstruck and then writes stuff all day i would be so sad that sounds like the best job it before. sounds exactly and i my i know my mom she was in the room right now would just be like wasn't that what why you started your blog back in the, yeah but that didn't give me money to live so i would like to make money filmstruck you've got willing people right here come on <laughs> exactly yes tcm technically i i do work we will we will curate your new female directors list and, and we, we will, will share them movies. yeah i know filmstruck has their their blog their, their film line blog um it's a different group of people that write for that that i have not been able to crack i i strictly write for tcm backlot and i mean i'm happy with that i love my job tcm by the way but i'd be willing to do more I'd be, I'd be willing to review your movies. I'd be willing to comb Ben Mankiewicz's hair. I mean, you know, whatever you're willing to let me do, um, just, just to, uh, you know, be, be around, I would be okay with that. So <laughs> I know Lauren's probably just like, I don't get that. I know, oh I know. God. No, I don't, and I never will. <laughs> uh, but I do have the female filmmaker, women directors um, slate up on on. Filmstruck, in case anybody really wants to know, they have 1926's The Adventures of Prince Ahmed, Dance Girl Dance, uh, Cleo from 5 to 7, Harley, Harlan County, USA, uh, all sorts of great movies. Yentl, if you want Barbara, always great. Um, Crossing Delancey, which I've heard from a lot of people is fantastic, and I need to watch it. Um, the Watermelon Woman, Julie Tamer's Across the Universe, all sorts of great stuff, so... Definitely check it out if you have not seen any of those movies. Just watch everything on Filmstruck that's there. I mean, I think we all recommend mostly everything that's on it. Almost. Oh. I was going to say Citizen Kane is on there. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw something out there that was going to get a reaction. Uh, so, yeah, go go to Filmstruck.com. It's fantastic. Uh, TCM, we will take our Filmstruck checks uh in the mail because we all know we only like things because we're getting paid for them so moving on to trailers not a whole lot of trailers this week was that just me it seemed like it was blah pretty blah yeah it's i can really only think of two that i watched this week that were new 
Well, we only yeah. have one. So the only new trailer to come out this week is the remake of Miss Bala. This is directed by Catherine Hardwick, speaking of. And it stars my lady crush, Gina Rodriguez, Jane the Virgin. I love her so much. So already this movie is is actually going to be one of my favorites sight unseen. Um, it's actually a remake of a 2011 film of the same name. And it tells the story of a woman who goes to Tijuana and ends up getting uh, involved in drug dealing and crime and ends up trying to get one over on the men who were controlling her. The trailer looks fine. Um, I'm, I'm into it. I was into it with Gina Rodriguez because I think she's awesome. But I mean, I haven't seen the original, but based on what the trailer is showing, if this is going to be badass Latina lady assassin, I'm kind of into that. Badass lady beauty pageant assassin is that that's is that like, what they're still going with because i wasn't sure if i know that's a part of the the original but i couldn't tell in the trailer if that was retained that's still like online as there but maybe that's just talking about the old one but that would be like a really good combination of things that I it would be yeah i would again that would just yeah. add the the cherry to the cake yeah. of awesomeness uh I, I mean this actually looks good to me you know watching the trailer i my immediate reaction was was oh this looks like peppermint but it's not peppermint because it's non-racist, it's peppermint. non-racist peppermint. peppermint yeah yeah which is exactly like and i'm i'm disappointed about peppermint because i was like that's a great idea but why did it have to be a white woman why uh and and that's what this looks like and i'm like ooh, this this might actually be loads of fun you know i i think that I wonder how much longer we're going to go with the cartels as villain um, trope that has been sort of weaving its way through a lot of different films. But I would say once our president is out, then we'll go I away. mean, but but at least we do have a Latina woman um, facing off against against cartels and drug dealers and and bad men versus you know a white woman or a white man or a white anyone. Uh, facing off against cartels so the, it's it's better i i think and i do like gina rodriguez so i'm all for her like kicking ass and saving her friends. i talked with Catherine hardwick at sundance kind of when she was wrapping this up and Damn her you. passion for this project was just so infectious and it was just so cool to chat with her kind of about making this and gina and just how behind this she was and just what she wanted to do i mean that being i mean that being said that was really what kind of that memory of that conversation was what kind of won me over with this speaking completely truthfully this didn't this isn't a me kind of movie i will say i don't know if i saw this and i knew nothing about it i don't know if i would necessarily rush out to go see it based on what i was seeing but i can't go against what everybody said she looks completely badass it looks great i kind of aesthetically i kind of went to the peppermint sicario place as well knowing what i knew it was kind of like okay that's not gonna you know that no that's bullshit but it's we'll see i'll be there i'd like to see more kind of marketing stuff as it comes out so but i i'm intrigued i i want to say that gina rodriguez posted something but it's not on her twitter so it might not have been her but she, they, someone was talking about how it's amazing that this was a f- studio-funded film with a decent budget, directed by a woman starring a woman of color, a Latina specifically, which is still very rare in the action genre. 
And I mean, I'm hoping this does good purely on that, because as we all know, studios run by men are run by morons. And so if this movie does not do good, it's not going to be because, oh, it had a weak script or the the timing of it or anything. It's going to be, oh, people don't want to see movies, action movies with Latinas in the lead. And I want that to change because if anybody, and I mean, that's, I will say, I, I'm really liking what Gina Rodriguez is doing career-wise. I, I love her as Jane the Virgin. I think she's got a great em- empathetic genuineness to her. Like you feel for her. She's able to just be so genuine in her performance. But I love that she's transitioning in film to being a badass between this and Annihilation. I'm all for her just being like wanting to curse and wanting to carry a gun and be be just this kick-ass heroine. Um, and I'm hoping it does good. This was supposed to come out January 25th, but they actually moved it back to February 1st, which that's the wrong way. makes me believe there's some confidence. <sighs> maybe (laughs) i had such a rough thank you kim maybe i'm just being you know i maybe i'm just scared and traumatized but any i'd like to think that black panther might have meant that like maybe february isn't a dumping ground anymore true but then somebody's gonna be like well that was marvel that's totally different okay well give me this god damn it i want gina rodriguez to be whatever she wants to be and if that's being an action star, fine. And can we say Catherine Hardwick, yet another woman who had a successful franchise taken yes. away from her? Yes, Catherine Hardwick. Catherine Hardwick, yeah. I would say, has paid her dues. I mean, she has more than she paid has. her dues. And I have seen practically every movie that that woman has made, for good and ill. I mean, I've seen Twilight. I've seen Thirteen. I've seen what? What is it? Lords of Dogtown, which is actually. Okay, I think I haven't seen it in a long time. I saw goddamn Red Riding Hood. <laughs> that movie's terrible. I about it, is, it has baby irons in it, so I should have <laughs> known. But it's awful, and I want to say something about Gary uh, Gary Oldman roasting somebody in a giant elephant. Am I right? Oh my god! Oh my I god. Think you're right. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> um, oh, she did the Nativity Story. I've seen that too. I own that, actually. My mom got me that as a Christmas present. I was like, this seems sacrilegious because I'm going to be watching it and I'm going to be looking at Oscar Isaac and I'm going to have dark thoughts. So maybe we should watch this on Christmas. We'll watch this on like Arbor Day when it doesn't seem like I'm going to go to hell. She's another one that like has that (laughs) thing where she broke through on a movie that if it had been a man, it would have been like, oh, the next Soderbergh. Oh my God. And then like, because it was a woman, it was just like, Oh, it's this girl movie about girls. Isn't that quaint? Uh, adorable. Yeah. I, I As somebody who watched 13 during their formative years, I would say 13 is, is a great movie in the sense that if you were a 13-year-old girl, it just made you feel worse. Yeah. <laughs> like, for me, I was just like, well, I don't even have a cool, bad-influenced friend. That's not fair. <laughs> Where's my Mickey Reed? Where? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, where's where's my person? I'm, I'm still exactly. And I've been to like the locations in LA where they filmed. I'm like, I don't have a cool badass friend to be like, hey, we should start stealing shit. And then I could be like, no, stealing is wrong, and I don't want to go to jail because I'm in a wheelchair. I don't even know how that works. Okay, but <laughs> I want that option, Catherine Hardwick. God, set the bar too high for female friendships. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, uh, Miss Bottle comes out February 1st. Go see it. Go support Catherine Hardwick because she has been a very vocal proponent of why do I not get to make more movies? Well, you should. So moving on to reviews. This is going to be a really short episode, which I'm sure Karen will be really happy about. Um, we love Karen and her editing prowess. Um, but we're going to move into reviews. Not a whole lot happened. I did not go see anything. I went and saw Bad Times at the El Royale for a third As time. one does. Because I'm me. But did you like so, it? Uh, I did like it, yes. And nobody who says it sucks is going to rain on my parade because I love it so much. Okay, so you didn't so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to throw out there, bad times at the El Royale marketing people. I deserve a t-shirt or a bumper sticker or Chris Hemsworth at my house. I deserve something because I've given days. you my money We have been tireless okay. proponents of this film since that first trailer. We have been it. there for them the whole time. <laughs> We will take a check or a hug from Chris Hemsworth or something. Okay, we just we have paid our dues. We have promoted this movie, and I've gone to see this three times, non matinee. Okay, so I paid peak prices. Just, just saying. I'm just, I'm trying to help. Sitting there with common people who feel the need to ask questions about Hemsworth while the movie is playing. You're spending. That's not the how you go see a movie. That's certainly where not people how. take out their cell phones and ask stupid questions. Get right next to you oh, when you, God, you know, there's yeah. a whole theater empty. I know. I thought about slapping phones out of people's hands, being like, Hey, you're <laughs> speaking. You listen. I am an inch away from turning into that little girl in that movie, aren't I? <laughs> I'm okay with this, actually. Halloween costume. Um, anywho. So, other movie, other movies came out today, um, or on Friday. Uh, Kim, you saw Halloween. I did. What did you think of it? Because there has been a very mixed reaction. And Courtney, if you've seen anything, feel free to jump in at any point. So, Kim, you saw Halloween. What did you think? I did. Now, I will preface this by saying I am not well versed on the entire franchise. Um, I think I'm good with. I'm okay with. I'm good with one, and I'm okay with two. Beyond that, I'm completely clueless. Um, I don't. I came out of this really enjoying it. Kind of. I had a very fun, very fun audience, very kind of horror movie audience, lots of commentary, lots of don't go in there's, which made it an absolute blast to watch. I sat down to write on it two days later and I had a more difficult time, which kind of I'm still unpacking and trying to figure out what this means. I actually, how I felt about the movie. Um, That being said, I know I've spoken with franchise fans who are not proponents of this movie there's I, I told a particular plot point which I won't divulge on this to somebody in my family who has seen all of them and I'd never seen this person get so angry about a Halloween spoiler before in my life so if you are well versed in Halloween you might not enjoy it um I had fun I mean I had and I will freely admit coming towards the end which again I won't give spoilers but I had a moment in the theater, which I haven't quite equaled since what the Amazons fighting in that kind of opening sequence of Wonder Woman. Just see, you know, there's, there's just a brief swelling of pride where it was looking, you know, where I'm looking at certain things and it just felt good to see women doing these particular things on screen, which a, I never thought I would see from a slasher movie or, you know, a Halloween movie in that respect. Um, I, the violence was 
definitely over the top from what I was expecting. There were a couple of moments where I was like, ooh, that was a little too far. Lots of killing, lots of not as realistic killing. It's kind of, they were just throwing everything they could at the wall. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was by far bad. Jamie Lee Curtis, I found, was as badass as we were all expecting and as we were hoping for. I kind of liked what they were doing. I spoke a lot in my review of looking at that idea of victimhood and they were kind of working with a similar arc with Lori's daughter and granddaughter and what they did there. I thought they were crafting very interesting, very relatable characters, which often are tossed aside in in films of this sort. You get to see these characters kind of rise above all of their, passivity or the you know the problems that are plaguing them throughout their lives and they just join together and do stuff uh like i said very very fun movie good movie to see in a packed theater especially if you like the audience getting into it lots of moments worked a lot of michael especially towards the beginning uh which i know didn't hit well with certain people i've spoken with um could the focus in the beginning of the movie is really all over the place kind of setting up a lot of different stories and ultimately this is a slasher movie you need people to die so it's you it keeps you on your toes but they don't quite figure out it doesn't feels like they don't really figure out the narrative until act kind of two which i it felt a little awkward but it it was fine. It's it's a slasher movie, no more, no less. Uh, I would recommend at least taking a look at it. I will tell you that Mama Lopez and my brother, who are huge Halloween fans, went and saw it last night while I was at El Royale, and they were very unhappy. Yeah. So there, there's your contrast there. Well, that, well, that like I said, that goes that completely. I sat with a critic friend who is very into that franchise and she was not as happy she was not thrilled coming out of it either so franchise people don't seem pleased with it just a reminder that david gordon green is the director with the most bizarre filmography that i have ever seen i mean one minute he's making halloween next he's making serious drama next he makes your highness yeah i remember that that's always gonna stick in the head there okay oh. Wow. Oh, yeah. Okay, that would explain Danny McBride on that script. I was going to say that must be that must be how they how they came together. Yep, yep. So I'm just saying, and I know the wheels are turning for somebody to be like, Kristen, future what I did for love episode. No, I vowed after the first time I paid money to go see that in the theater, I would never watch that movie again. Just saying, <laughs> just saying, bad experience. Anywho, moving on. Um, so, Lauren, you saw at Eternity's Gate <laughs> with poor, besmirched Oscar Isaac. What did What did you think of it? I've heard for, this is another movie that I've heard a lot of mixed things. Some people say it fetishizes Van Gogh's mental illness. Some people say it's just boring. Some people say it's fantastic. Uh, somewhere in Where the did middle you of all of those things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I saw this. This was the closer for okay. the New York Film Festival. So this was a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, but I figured, you know, this was actually something that I saw and then I haven't had a chance to talk about. Uh, Eddie Eternity's Gate is, in terms of the actual plot of the film, it is pretty much just about the um, the last couple of years of Van Gogh's life and going all the way through his friendship with Gauguin, um, his 
living in Arles and then his eventual um, uh, incarceration in a Santa sanitarium and then finally into his death. And, uh, and it takes a particular perspective about his death, which is different from some of the other Van Gogh films that I've seen. Um, the, what, but what this movie is really about is about trying to use cinema to approximate the experience of being Vincent Van Gogh and what the filmmakers imagine the uh, the experience of being this this man who sees the world in a particular way. And I, I understand the criticism that it fetishizes his mental illness. It does to a certain degree because part of the film's argument is that the way that he sees the world is shaped by his particular uh, psychology and and then probably because he's either he's definitely manic depressive he may be schizophrenic um, he he's not completely you know connected to the world around him all the time he has these moments of blacking out where he does he does things that he does not remember doing and usually they're very violent things um, but the the flip side of that is that he sees the world in a very different way and he recognizes that he sees the world in a very different way from most other people so you can make the argument i guess that you know this is treating his mental illness as the sort of foundation of his art at the same time his mental illness does contribute to his art in some way you know i can't think of another painter who paints the way that van gogh paints he's completely different from any of his, any of the other contemporary artists. And that has to be shaped in some manner, simply because of the person that he was, that has to be shaped in some manner by his psychology, whatever that means. Uh, it's, it's a beautifully acted film. It's a, it's a beautifully photographed film. Willem Dafoe is spectacular. Like there's been a lot of talk about, um, about him getting a, uh, best actor nomination and if anyone deserves it he really does uh poor oscar isaac <laughs> is excellent yeah how how long is it he in it because i've heard that it's not a big role it's, it isn't a huge role i mean he plays Gauguin, and so he's in a he's in the film when he's in the film he's very important to the narrative but he exits the film at a certain point because it's about vincent van gogh it's not about vincent van gogh's relationship with Gauguin. Um, he's in it. He's really good. There's a wonderful scene that is basically an extended debate between Gauguin and Van Gogh about the nature of art and about what art should look like and what it should mean and how you do art correctly. And these are two painters with completely different philosophies and completely different approaches to what art should be. Um, and there's a wonderful scene where uh, Gauguin is sketching and he's trying to sketch this one. He's trying to sketch this woman and Van Gogh comes in, comes into the room and looks at what's happening and immediately sets up his easel and like just paints. And by painting, he like splashes paint all over the canvas and he's doing it really, really quickly. And it leads into this argument between him and Gauguin about Gauguin saying like, you have to plan, you have to actually take your time. You know, you can't just do this in sort of a fever state. And Van Gogh was like, no, 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 I have to paint what I see. And the faster I go, the better I feel. So it's this, it, it, they, they get a really good dichotomy going on there without it coming down to being like, you know, he's doing it right or he's doing it wrong. It's like, no, they're both doing it right for, for their type of painting and for what they eventually produce. And it's completely different kinds of art. Um, I mean, I, the more that I've thought about this film, the more I've liked it. When I initially saw it, it is a very difficult film to watch on a big screen because there are a lot of point of view shots 
which involve handheld cameras jiggling around. There is, uh, you know, there could have been a, a little bit more steady cam, but what it was, they were obviously trying to do was to show the world the way that they imagined Van Gogh was seeing it. And that includes this sort of blurriness, this wildness, this um, intensity of everything. And so the film does very well at doing that. But at the same time, you're, you're sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm watching a movie and it's getting difficult to focus on anything. Uh, and so there were a couple of times, particularly in the middle of the film, where I was just zoning out. Like I could, because I could not get my eyes to focus on any one particular object um, in the movie because the camera's moving so much. But that, you know, so it can be an argument about whether or not this is a kind of impressionistic filmmaking or uh, if this is just actually sloppy filmmaking at some level, that it doesn't work the way that the filmmakers want it to. Regardless, it's really interesting and it is a very, um, it's a good film to see. I would recommend seeing it on a smaller screen simply because I think it would be easier to actually hone in on what they're doing on, on the screen Uh that is not like a gigantic, you know, canvas basically of landscape and faces and everything that we're seeing through the eyes of Van Gogh. I mean, I'm going to see it. So I do my part, but I'm just, I'm just saying he's got a lot, he's got an uphill battle to climb. He's really good. He's really (laughs) good in this movie. He's always good. He's really good in this movie. And it's a good, I'm saying it's a good movie. Like I think that, When you see Oscar Isaac in this film, you will enjoy him. I usually do, and I, I, you know, we have we have our spat at the moment, but you know, it could it could all we could reconcile, it could happen. God, um, and an Oscar baiting movie that's hard to watch on a big screen—that seems like such a contradiction in ideas. Between Oscar Isaac painting and space jazz, just just seems like we're we're inundated with powerful men doing crazy things in movies that I feel like my expectations should be tempered because they don't have jazz in them. There there was, I stand by my claim, there's a jazzy standard in space, damn it. <laughs> but it's not, it's not exactly <laughs> what I want. Um, so, Courtney, what, do, what have you been seeing this so week? So here's the issue. I have two very small children, so I don't see things until I am able to so what i'm saying that is understandable (laughs) awesome okay (laughs) lots of pieces about lots of things so i feel like i've seen things that i haven't well what should we so when courtney gets time what should we what should she go see what what is what do all of us recommend el royale duh Uh, (laughs) in case anybody has something different (laughs) i need my time alone with chris Yeah, yeah. Roma. Yeah. Roma. If you can, see, you know, I was just talking about a movie that maybe is not best played on a big screen. See Roma on a big screen if you haven't already. Okay. That is coming to AFI Fest, and I am determined because I'm so sick of everybody in the critical community having seen it except me. And I was like, well, it's now or never. Or yeah, until Netflix, yeah, we're getting it in Denver too. Until on a big screen, it. because <laughs> it's just I I don't know how it will play on a small screen. But on a big screen, it really is just immersive. And, and he does an excellent job with it. Like, if, if you get the chance, I know it's also going to come out on Netflix, but if you get the chance, go see it on a big screen. Awesome. Uh, well, the last movie we have is the one I saw, and it, it would be one I'd recommend Courtney get to eventually if she can. Uh, the Hate You Give. Technically, I saw this a couple weeks ago with Karen, 
but it's actually finally gone wide this weekend so I can talk about it. And I wish Karen was here because she saw it with me and I, I want extra people with, with the praise. So this is an adaptation of the novel by Angie Thomas. It's directed by George Tillman Jr. and written by Audrey Wells, who actually just passed away last week of cancer. And this is her final screenplay. She also did Under the Tuscan Sun, a bunch of other movies and should have been a far more well-known name but it tells the story of star carter played by amandala stenberg who is out with a friend one night they're coming home from a party and they get pulled over by the police the friend gets out of the car because he is going to be checked by the cop and reaches in to grab something and is gunned down and killed and the whole movie is essentially the fallout of that event as Star tries to decide whether she's going to testify against the cop that is going to go on trial, and also navigating the fact that she lives in a lower-income area but goes to a private, predominantly white school in a more affluent area. And there's so much going on in this movie, and it's so brilliantly done. And I say this as as a white person, for the most part, um, one who is who is raised white, effectively. And this is a movie that I would say is is definitely aimed at people that already know that the story sh- shouldn't need to be told to convince anybody. You know, I I know that police brutality happens. I know that unarmed black men get killed indiscriminately, and I support the protests against against this so this movie isn't convincing me of something that i didn't already know existed and i know a lot of people that predominantly white audiences older who have seen this movie and feel that it's attacking it's attacking white people that is not what the movie is intending and if that's how you're taking it then that says more about you than the movie but it does really navigate this concept of what african-american people have to do particularly as teenagers uh, Amanda Stenberg gives a fantastic, fantastic performance, and it's great watching the little subtle nuances that she has when she goes to her white school, and she says that she's star 2.0, where she's not allowed to act ghetto, you know, that she doesn't want to give people reason to think that she is low rent, so she doesn't talk in slang, she doesn't dress like she would at home but at the same time when she's interacting with her friends her white friends they're using street language they're they're acting black and there's this whole concept of what does that mean when when people when black men are gunned down by the police how does that work if you're a black girl with white friends who believe that well if somebody if it was going to happen it would happen eventually you know so there's a lot of really interesting dynamics about just living as a as a young black teenager trying to navigate a school that is predominantly white and I can tell you I grew up with a graduating class graduating class in high school we had one black student and I can only imagine his experience growing up in in a predominantly white community and I can tell you now I think in my area we've I think the last graduating class that I I recall keeping up on that number had risen to maybe about five, five out of like 700 students. So, I I mean, that's, it it hits me where I live a little bit. Um, There's also a a lot of interesting stuff about 
the process of leading protests against against police brutality and the the justice system there. There are some hokey elements that I'm assuming were from the book. There's a drug kingpin played by Anthony Mackie, whose name is literally King, that gets gets solved a little too easily when you're dealing with really hard topics that are ingrained in so many different elements. The concept of a drug dealer getting arrested just seems pretty simplistic. Um, really, the whole movie, though, is about the family, the Carters, and they're fantastic. Regina Hall is amazing, but it's all about Russell Hornsby. I think Russell Hornsby gives an Oscar-worthy performance. I don't think it will happen, because I don't think the Academy looks at YA adaptations with any type of prestige. But he is so, so good, so heartbreaking. He's He's got such intensity and, and panache to him and weight. It's just... It's a fantastic performance, and I really enjoyed this movie. This movie made me cry, and it also made me angry because this is not, again, this is not something that I feel we should have to explain to people. This is a, this is a story that is well-worn. We've seen this story before, and the fact that we've seen this story before pisses me off because I feel like we should have solved this already. There's a lot of people saying that this is this year's Fruitvale Station, for for good and ill, because when Fruitvale came out, there's a lot of people who were angry and upset and wanted to do stuff about about police brutality then, and we're still seeing it now. So I think this is an important movie, but it's an important movie that I feel we shouldn't have to keep reminding audiences is important, if that makes sense. But it's it's so good, go see it. Um, it's it, but but prep for it's gonna like make you really sad for just the state of, of humanity, I think, more than anything else. And if you're a white person who feels this movie is attacking you, you shouldn't be listening to the show, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so go see it. Um, what does everybody have on tap for this week, movie-wise? Other than Courtney, who is living the, the mom life, so we don't judge her I too hard. I am going to try to sneak out and go see Halloween, mm. <gasps> Yay! Well, it is yeah. Halloween, so, I mean, yeah. you, you know, you gotta get in a horror movie yeah, at, at some point. And plus, so. like, the, and like you were talking about, like, the, the reactions to it have been so either I didn't like it or it's the best horror movie I've seen this decade. It, it's like, I want to know where I'm going to fall. <laughs> Are you a fan of the franchise? I am a fan of the franchise, but, like, not in a, in a holy way. I love the first one. It's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And then the rest I kind of love in that way of, like, they're not – like good though. Like I don't, I don't understand how beholden people are to them. Yeah, I I just saw um, Halloween too. Like the actual sequel, not the Rob Zombie movie. Season. Oh, okay, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, Halloween, like whatever. It's it's like the 1981. It takes place right after right. the ending of the first film. Um, and and I remember watching that and being like, oh, this is fine. I was a little bit disappointed in it, even though everyone had been like, well, it's probably one of the best of the sequels, but not, you know, otherwise. So well, it's one of those, even the franchise didn't know what it wanted to be because with season of the witch, they were like, well, this is going to be an anthology series and everything's just going to like be connected only by Halloween. And so people being super, you know, committed to the franchise as Bible, it's, it's not that franchise. Yeah, my, my understanding from, from some people, like I have some friends that are big fans of the franchise. Um, they're just like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. None of it makes sense. It makes even less sense than the Friday the 13th franchise. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's my understanding too. Um, I'm going to see Suspiria at the end of next week. Yes. God, uh, yes. Ooh. 
Um, Kim, what's what's on tap for you? I have mid nineties, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Boy Erased. So fun week for me. Um, so this week I have Bohemian Rhapsody as well. That's on Tuesday. I was supposed to go see Beautiful Boy with my my sweet creme brulee Aww. Timothy Chalamet, um, but I can't. So I have to wait till that actually comes out to theaters. And I think I'm going to see Suspiria Thursday morning. So I, I told. Why do you guys have Suspiria screenings? I know. I, well, I told that Beautiful Boy and Suspiria are both 11 a.m. screenings, which I, I don't do know why that? they do that because literally maybe about two critics show up. Yep, the same here. They don't show up for these, these morning screenings, but award season, they always do morning screenings. And I can usually never find a ride because everybody works. So I told my mother, I was like, look, I will forego Chalamet. Okay, but I cannot forego seeing Suspiria because it doesn't come out until the second here and I'm not waiting that long. So, yeah, I had to I had to make concessions, but I, I feel like if I have to go see Brian Singer be Brian Singer, I, you are I, I'm owed Suspiria, Suspiria but, damn it. You know, <laughs> yeah, we, we start Denver Film Festival stuff kind of in earnest this week. I think everything gets going Halloween, but we kind of are on a slow ramp up. So that's going to be my life really till about mid-November. Exactly. Courtney, you were saying something. I don't remember what I was going to say, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that so is totally fine. Oh. Small children. So tired. So tired. Got, distra- got distracted by the Chalamet of it all. And that, and that wonderful slice of salt <laughs> and pepper, Steve. Ugh, it's, I don't get the I, Corel thing. I don't get I, That's I, up there with Goldblum. I, get I don't it. get it. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, Steve, Steve Carell is is aging into daddy. Like it's yes. just it's very in certain roles. I can understand that one. I five years ago yeah, I wouldn't have, but mm-hmm. I'm slowly that's what starting I'm saying. to understand. Like it's taken it. a little while, but now it's like, oh, okay, I get it. All right. Yeah, in during the office, like I never would have imagined no such feel until the finale when he reappears and it was just like, oh, hello there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah, no, I, you're talking to me who usually has the weirdest obsessions. I'm just sitting here like, yeah, but you don't what is happening? You don't <laughs> here to make it weird. <laughs> yeah, but you don't understand Goldblum, so, so it doesn't, it doesn't count. Like, you, mm-hmm. you have issues, Kristen. Yeah, that's true. This is I new territory for us, I would say. Don't get Goldblum either, so there's, there's that. <laughs> there is something wrong with you. Uh, well, we knew this, okay? I mean, <laughs> I, I vocally announced that. I I put Lolita on every top five, okay? So this I... Is, okay, I do not understand how you can be like, oh yeah, Jeremy Irons, <laughs> but not, oh yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Like, it's, it's like, and I, I am, oh yeah, both. Like, I totally get both of those. I, I'm but it's sorry. just like, what... <laughs> Yeah, I do, and I I say this as someone that rewatched Thor Ragnarok this week because I'm going, I'm going full Hemsworth. I'm doing it. There's technically only three movies I've never seen. I've seen every other movie in that son of a bitch's filmography except three. So which one? Yeah, which ones? Um, the last Star Star Trek. He's only in the first one, and he's. I heard he's in the last one. No, I don't. Or is is he in the? 
I heard he's in. He's. It's on his like IMDb. Maybe. Oh, there might be a quick flashback. I don't know. Okay, I so have that be number one on your. Somebody rewatch. tweet me and tell me if it's worth it because I'm not watching it for two seconds. The first movie burned me. Okay, so yeah. Um. So there's that one. Um. The one with the whale, the Moby Dick one. Oh, and the that's not a metaphor. Oh, you'll like that. I was about to say somebody <laughs> likes that one. Um, and the one that just came out this year, earlier this year, the Kim well, song. Strong. Yeah, that one. Oh, he looks good. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so yeah, I I say this is someone that rewatched Thor Ragnarok because I'm gonna go full Hemsworth. I don't get Goldblum. I don't. Just, I, okay, I, I, I gonna, try. I'm I try. Goldblum right. take. I don't sexually get Jeff Goldblum, but I like emotionally and spiritually <laughs> get Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there you go. See, we're getting Courtney on our Gold Bloomin episode. Yeah. Okay. So, see, there I, you go. Okay, I'm sorry. You. I'm sorry. You guys cannot like see I the mean, sexual potency of Jeff. Like, Goldblum. you gotta understand like, that was brave of me to say that because sci-fi fangirls were literally doing 31 days of Jeff Goldblum, and it is straight up Goldblum content every day. <laughs> so I, yeah. I've been seeing that, and I keep meaning to tell Lauren that you guys are doing that because I was like, "Oh, this sounds like something Lauren should have actually contributed." I, and you know what? To. I might have actually felt differently <laughs> until I did a live vlog of Transylvania Six Five Thousand, which I'd never seen before, and holy shit! Oh my that god, that movie! movie. <laughs> I think it like fundamentally changed my Jeff Goldblum feelings and like retroactively changed them because that movie did a number on me in the bad way. Damn. Isn't it great that I brought Courtney on? She's essentially the, the oh, fifth I, citizen dame for, for all the gets and purposes. I'm mad about Transylvania 65,000 again now, damn it. <laughs> yeah, so between so between that and Full Hemsworth, I you know, I should really document this on like Twitter or something as I attempt to go through all these movies and be like, oh yeah, I remember this movie sucks, but he's hot. That's going to be the whole conceit pretty much i'm I'm looking at his filmography and i'm seeing him in number one and then in into darkness and for the life of for the life of me i don't because there's been three and into darkness is number two and for the life of me i don't remember him in two and i've watched the shit out of that because benedict cumberbatch there must be a flashback uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I will. I will do watch my part. Watch back. <laughs> I will watch and report back. Okay, because I mean, all I know, I know get it, but the Cumberbatch makes it worth it. All I know is I had a really <laughs> bad reaction to the first Star Trek because okay, we got time, so I could share the story. I went and saw it when it came out in like what was that? Oh six? Oh eight? Oh something? Twelve? Twelve? I don't know. It, it, I saw the first Star Trek. It feels like it came out 20 years ago, okay? I saw the first Star Trek, okay? And I watched the first 10 minutes. I saw this in the theater, okay? I saw the first 10 minutes and I was like, who the hell is this magnificent unicorn, okay? (laughs) Where, and I'm like, I saw this movie by myself, okay? And I'm like looking around at nothing. There is nobody to my left or my right. And I'm just like, are we all looking at this guy? Because seriously, who the fuck is this person? And why do I not know this? Okay, this movie's gonna be great. And then he fucking dies. And I was just like, wait, what? Wait, fuck this movie. Can I leave? Because I don't care anymore. Chris Pine's great, but who is that guy? You happen to see your pine, though. I know, but I didn't care at that point because I was just like, who is this centaur of deliciousness, okay? Who is this human statue? 
Exactly. Exactly. So after that, I was just like done. Um, yeah. So it's been a problem. And I've done, okay, full disclosure, I've gone full Hemsworth before. I did it back when Rush came out. Yep. <laughs> So I've, I've technically seen everything except those three that I haven't seen. I've done this before. Should you just, I just haven't done it recently. November, no Hemsworth. (gasps) Okay. Okay. This is why, this is why we're having Courtney back because she's just creating ideas. So I'm I'm an idea. I'm a job creator. This, this is probably (laughs) a job for someone. Center of deliciousness needs to go on a mug. Too. I, I yes. will literally make that a thing. I will add that to my list of my numerous uh, pin and merchandise ideas that I'm coming up with, along with my attempts to get a creme brulee cr- clip art piece and Timothy Chalamet's head on top of it so that it says creme brulee Chalamet. Oh. Um, yes i know i'm working i'm working at i I wish i had art skills like unfortunately i'm great at objectifying people but i'm terrible at art so go figure (laughs) well we should close this down before i get in trouble um but we want to thank courtney emla once again for joining us courtney where can people get in touch with you find your work, promote, feel free to promote. Thank you all so much for having me, you precious angels and creme brulee <laughs> thrivers. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Court Enlow. Uh, you can listen to trends like these wherever podcasts come from or at MaximumFun.org. And you can read my stuff at Sci-Fi Fangirls. And you can find us a variety of different places. We are all over the interwebs. You can uh, reach out to us with your questions, comments, suggestions at Twitter at Citizen Dame Pod. We also have a Facebook. It's a little lonely, but feel free if you're still using Facebook to check out our page at facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. If you're old school and want to send us an email with your thoughts on Chalamet or your hate for us or how you think El Royale is a terrible movie, you can email them to us at citizendamepod at gmail.com. You can also check out our official website, which is citizendamepod.com. Right, uh, if you go over there, we have our Feminist Fridays, which Kim does every Friday. We also have our Citizen Dame Top 5s. This week, it was our favorite female-directed horror films. And in honor of our upcoming bonus episode on Bad Times to the El Royale, our Top 5 this week is our favorite cinematic bad boys. My mom actually asked me how many of my choices were murderers. <laughs> I was like, um, well, Aaron Taylor Johnson almost made the list for Nocturnal Animals, but he didn't. Okay, so just leave me alone. And don't forget our Mother Goose a Go-Go, What That's I Did right. for Love. That's right. Kim did her, her regular <laughs> What I Did for Love tribute this month to Tommy Kirk and Mother Goose a Go-Go. My, I am actually next on the What I Did for Love slate. I get to talk about Mojave, which I feel played a lot better when I suggested it three months ago than it does now. Poor Oscar. So, I know. Poor, poor man. He, Melissa McCarthy, down that cruise ship of my love, just, like, hit every rung on the way down. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, you can uh, also uh, see all sorts of the, the show notes. Everything else is on the website. And if you want to go the extra mile and support us with your money, you can do that at patreon.com slash citizendame. For just a dollar, you can get all sorts of awesome stuff, including, it is officially online, our Gold Bloomin' episode. That's right, Yay. all four of us spent 55 minutes 
talking about Jeff Goldblum. Actually, three of us talked for 55 minutes about how much they love Jeff Goldblum, and one of us, not named Kristen, sat in the back and shrugged. I just kind of was like, yeah. Uh, hey, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> but you can get all sorts of access to that as well as our Sicario commentary that Karen and I did, our Star Wars discussion. We are in the process of making some merchandise. So once we get that started, it'll be uh, Patreon perks if you if you want them. So definitely check out patreon.com slash citizen dame. We are still several hundred dollars away from our $500 goal which is a full audio commentary on the social network that Karen will have to watch with her eyeballs <laughs> held open. And she has to say one nice thing about Army Hammer. So if you want that to happen, help us get to $500. <laughs> uh, I feel like there's a perk that's even worse than that, that like one of us really needs to create. And I'm sure we'll come up it. with one. Somebody's going to be all, we'll make Kristen watch your highness and say only good things about it and about Justin Thoreau in it. Um, but yeah, so that's going to close out this episode. If you want to get in touch with us individually, you can check out me on Twitter at journeys underscore film. Karen Peterson is at Karen M. Peterson. Kim, where are you? I am on Twitter and actually getting my Instagram set up as well, both at kpure624. You and your kids with the Instagram. I'm uh, trying, man. And Lauren Humphreys-Brooks, where are you? I am at LH Business. So we will be back next week. Thanks once again to Courtney Enlow, and we will see you later. Trying to make some sense out of it. It's thug life. The hate you give little infants. F's in. everybody. I know what it stands for. What do you think it means? I think it's about us. Us who? Black people. Poor people, everybody at the bottom. Right, you want it? Pac was trying to school us on how the system's designed against us. Why else you think so many people in our neighborhood deal? They need the money. Yeah. And ain't no real jobs around here. So they fall into the trap. 